So for those of you who don't know, uh, my name is Nathan. Um, I'm married to a wonderful, lo lovely lady called Hannah. Um, and we have three lovely children, Jonah, who's seven, Eva, four, and Maddie, who is two, otherwise known as a handful. Um, but no, they're, they're awesome. We love our kids. We absolutely love our kids. And Hannah and I also um, run the kids' church, uh, 5 to 11's ministry in this church as well. So I might be more familiar to you running up and down the hallway wearing a red T-shirt than actually standing up here. But hey, it's great to be here. Um, and partly because of our children, as well as running kids' church, um, it's given Hannah and I a particular passion for helping our children, our children, as well as the children of this church, discover Jesus. And one thing I want to do this morning is take a little opportunity to plug a new small group that Hannah and I are going to be running um, from, uh, from January. I know, I've got to use the position I've been given, hey? Um, so from Christmas until the summer next year, we're going to be running the Parenting for Faith course, um, which aims to help and equip parents in the unique position that they have um, to help our children discover a faith in Jesus. As Christian parents, we want our children to have that relationship with Jesus, but as kids' church is less than one hour a week, we just can't limit their spiritual input to just a Sunday morning. We recognize that as parents, we have the most influence on our children, especially when they're young, and the best opportunity to introduce them to Jesus. The point of the course that we're going to be running is to equip us, because so often we feel woefully unequipped for the task at hand. We want to get together as parents and to learn and to encourage one another in how we can best use the time we have with our children to help them get to know Jesus. So if you're a parent of children, I think any children 0 to 18, maybe even older if you fancy it as well, um, I'd really encourage you to think about whether this might be something for you. And actually, talking about our new small group segues quite nicely into what I'm going to be talking about this morning. Uh, passage in 1 Timothy um, we're going to be looking at, because Timothy, the guy who this letter in the New Testament is written to, is actually the first person we come across in the Bible who is a second generation follower of Jesus. He's the first example that we've got of someone who was influenced by godly family. Both his mother and his grandmother are commended as people who passed that faith on to their son or grandson and aided him in his spiritual growth. But hey, um, I think before we look at the passage, I'd really just want to pray, um, pray that God would talk to us. So yeah, Lord God, thank you for your word. Thank you that it is alive. Thank you for the hope that it gives us. And thank you that it introduces us to Jesus. It teaches us a better way to live. And thank you that you want to speak to us through your word this morning. Amen. Amen. So what we're doing, we're picking up quite close to the end of uh, the letter of 1 Timothy. So we're in chapter 6, and Paul is speaking and giving some instruction to his young protege, Timothy, who he left in charge of the church in Ephesus. So let's pick it up in verse 11. Hopefully, we'll have it on the screen. I'm hoping. If not, hopefully you've got your Bibles with you as well. Okay. It says, But you... Man of God, flee from all of this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. 
in the sight of God, who gives life to everything, and of Christ Jesus, who, while testifying before Pontius Pilate, made the good confession. I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and might forever. Amen. Amazing. Amazing ends to those, to those verses. Absolutely love of the description of God that we get from that. We could do a whole series, I think, on those truths that are in there. But I'll be honest, I'm actually only um, going to be preaching on those first couple of verses in that section. But with that uh, description of God after that, I couldn't resist um, reading that too. Okay, so what's the best way of approaching this? I think the best way is to give us a little bit of an understanding about what is going on um, in the book. What's going on in 1 Timothy? What's it all about? Well... 1 Timothy is a letter from the Apostle Paul to Timothy. And Timothy was one of Paul's disciples. He learnt under him while Paul was establishing the church in Ephesus. And Paul thought so highly of Timothy, even though he was young, he thought so highly of his character, that when Paul left to go and plant churches elsewhere, he left Timothy with the responsibility of leading the church there. Now, if we read the book of Ephesians and the rest of 1 and 2 Timothy, we know that actually this posting and this job was quite a challenge for a young leader, probably a challenge for an old leader too. If we look back through the first five and a half chapters of the letter, we, we see issues like false teaching, we see problems with how worship was being done, and directly before these verses, we see how individuals with authority in the church were using their status and their supposed godliness in order to make money. So Timothy had a pretty tough job on his hand. And so Paul is writing to encourage Timothy in both his leadership of the church, but also in how to live as a believer. And that's how we can all get something from this passage and these words this morning. It's not just a letter written to a church leader, it's instructions about how to live well as a follower of Jesus. So we've had a pretty decent summer so far, haven't we? I mean, I've enjoyed it. The weather's been pretty good, apart from one or two days. Um, And even a few weeks ago, we had some pretty stiflingly hot days in the mid-30s. And, you know, it's great. But in those sorts of temperatures, I am the first one to die for some shade or an ice cream. Um, But it has been great. It's wonderful. And we're we're actually heading to France in a week or so's time, um, where the temperatures are looking like they might be in the high 30s, mid to high 30s. So... um, I'm probably going to have to find a a few shady spots there too and eat a bit more ice cream, I've no doubt. Um, But one thing I definitely won't be doing in those sorts of high temperatures is just kind of carrying on as normal. If I just carry on as normal, not looking to cool down, I'll overheat, I'll burn, I might get sunstroke. Now, if I want to get some relief from the heat, I am going to have to do something to cool down. Unfortunately, I don't think Hannah, she probably won't come and shave me with an umbrella or put a warm or cold towel around my neck. She loves me, but I don't think she'll go that far. Um, No, in in those really hot situations, I, myself, am going to have to do something if I want to cool down. It might seem a, a slightly strange analogy given the passage that we've read, but a while ago, I was 
I, was, I felt a bit like that in my spiritual life. I was thinking and praying about my walk with God, and I was thinking to myself, yeah, I really want to grow in my walk with God. I want to know him more, and I want to see more of the fruits that Justin spoke about a couple of weeks ago. But I was just getting really frustrated. I was really frustrated with my progress. I felt like I'd stalled and that I wasn't getting anywhere. I wasn't growing. At least I didn't feel like I was. And then it hit me, you know. I was, I was doing the equivalent of wanting some relief from the sun, but not actually doing anything about it. I had the desire within me to see more of God in my life and to grow, but I wasn't making the choices I needed to to help me and make a difference in my walk with God. Now, don't get me wrong, God can and does choose times where he accelerates our growth. He does do that, but there's a reason that Paul fills his letters with words like grow, strive, run, this morning, flee, fight, and the one I really want to focus on, pursue. It's not the sort of language that is stationary. It's not stationary language at all. It's active language, and it demands movement. It's not something that can be done by doing nothing. You can't flee from something without moving away from it, and you can't run after something without moving your legs. So in our passage, Paul is pressing on Timothy the need to pursue. He wants him to flee from the bad way of living and instead grow in his faith by pursuing the things of God, by pursuing righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Now, pursue as a word conjures up for me all sorts of imagery, in particular, you know, Hollywood car chases where you've got a good cop pursuing a bad guy. And, and the idea of pursuing something is that we catch it. A good cop pursuing the bad guy is so that he can catch him and arrest him. It's for a purpose. And Paul was telling Timothy that the best way to live as a follower of Jesus is to pursue the things of God, to chase after them until he's caught them. The list of things in the passage that Paul is telling Timothy to pursue are things that come only if they're pursued. Those traits don't just magically build in us and become part of our character. It's part of God's plan that once we become followers of Jesus, we don't just sit back and let life happen around us, but that we take hold of what he's given us and that we grow. It's replacing the old worldly ways of doing things and the old ways of thinking and replacing them with actions and thoughts of the kingdom of God. Romans 8 is, is, is a great chapter, and in verse 29, at the end, of, it says that for those people he has chosen, so us, as believers, as followers of Jesus, we are to be conformed, we are being conformed to the likeness of Jesus. We're being conformed to his image. It's a process that begins as soon as we accept Jesus for who he is and what he has done. Now, Sometimes we can feel that process happening in us, or we can see it clearly. Sometimes we can see it very clearly in others, especially those at the very beginning of their walk with God, but, and they develop and they grow at quite a rate. And sometimes we can see that in ourselves too, but at other times, like me, 
it was really hard to see that process of transformation happening at all. So I've been really challenged by this, um, about whether I was being proactive enough in pursuing God. I looked at myself and my life and I assessed whether the choices that I was making were matching up with my desire to know God more and to grow in my likeness of Jesus. On one hand, I, I was saying and believing, I sincerely wanting, I was saying, you know, I want to grow deeper in my relationship with God. And yet on the other hand, I wasn't making the choices that was going to bring that about. It really stuck out to me when I was looking at myself is that instead of waking up in the morning and reaching for my Bible, which a lot of time I have every intention to do, instead of that I was waking up and I was reaching for my phone. I was checking the sport, checking the news, checking Facebook, seeing what was going on in the world, watching some stupid videos. Um, and before I knew it, in the morning, even though I knew that reading my Bible, it was time for me to get up, and I hadn't done it. I won't have read a word. What I was choosing to spend my time doing at that point was not consistent with the desire I had to grow in the things of God. And so this morning, what I want to challenge us with and ask us is, what are we pursuing? What are you pursuing? Not what do you want to pursue, because I believe that as followers of Jesus, we, we all want to grow. We like the idea of it, but what are you actually pursuing? When it, come down, when it comes down to day-to-day -day living, what choices are we making? Because what we choose in those everyday moments indicates where our priorities lie. I think when we ask these sorts of questions and, and self-analyze a little bit, it's kind of a, a bit of a spiritual health check. How are we living? Are we pursuing the things that Paul is listing out to Timothy? Righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, gentleness. Or are we pursuing something else? I think a good judge of what we're actually pursuing is to look at what fills our free time, look at what fills our thoughts, and look at what we do with our resources. They're all very, question, very good questions to ask ourselves. But I think when we, when we do look at those sorts of things, it's actually quite difficult because a lot of those things aren't necessarily bad. I mean, spending time with our family, thinking and planning holidays and rest, working for a promotion, playing sport, using our bodies that way, buying a house or a car, resting, enjoying life. Those aren't bad things at all, but, but I believe the issue comes when we become preoccupied with pursuing those things over and above pursuing the things of God. What we do, what we think, and what we spend our money on shows what we're actually pursuing. In our passage, Paul's words are strong and very clear to Timothy. And as hearers of the word, they're pretty clear to us too. They say, you, as a man or woman of God, flee from all of this and pursue righteousness, holiness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. 
But what we have to ask ourselves is, what does that actually look like? What does it look like to practically go about pursuing those things? How can we actually do that? And unfortunately, I've not got a definitive list. The only thing I can come to you with is the things that God has been teaching me about over the last few months. And I'd love to share some of those with you. And thankfully, and very helpfully, they all begin with F. So Ken Davis will be very happy. <laughs> and the first thing I think that we can do is to ask, what are we fueling ourselves with? So the first F, fueling. If we think of a car, we've got to put the right fuel in. We've got to put the right fuel in it so that it performs as it's intended to. A few weeks ago, my brother-in-law um, started filling his petrol car up with diesel. Don't ask me how, because I don't think it actually goes in anymore, but he managed it somehow. But um, fortunately, he caught himself pretty quickly and was able to dilute it down um, with the right fuel, so there wasn't too much of an issue. But it could have been a lot worse. Putting the wrong fuel in a car will at best make the car feel horrible to drive or sluggish, or at worst, it will seriously damage it. And it's the same for us, really. In order for us to pursue the things of God and to perform well in our growth into the likeness of Jesus, we need to be fueling ourselves with the right things. We need to be asking the question, you know, what are we filling our souls and our minds with day to day? It's asking questions which expose us a little bit. What are we watching? What websites are we visiting? What are we reading? What positions are we putting ourselves in? What conversations are we having? Are they helpful? What are we being influenced by? Are we feeding ourselves with things which will lead us and encourage us in righteous and godly living? Or are we feeding ourselves and fueling ourselves with things that will do the opposite? that will make us perform sluggishly. A couple of weeks ago, Justin um, spoke about being fruitful. Scripture tells us that a bad fruit tree won't produce good fruit. And if I can extend that metaphor a little bit, a tree that is being fed with contaminated water or bad nutrients in the soil, that also won't produce good fruit. It either won't produce at all, or the fruit will be bad. Are we spending more time in God's word, fueling ourselves with good things? Or like me, are you spending more time on Facebook or following the sport or the news or, or whatever that alternative might look like for you? In all of these areas, are they things which are going to help me pursue the things of God? As an assessment of where we're at, it's really important to ask ourselves whether we're, being, where we're, whether we're filling ourselves with more good things, more good fuel, which will lead to righteousness and godliness, or whether we're filling and fueling ourselves with the wrong things, which at best will help us, which at best doesn't help us, and at worst will make us vulnerable to sin and will stunt our spiritual growth. So that's the first F. Fueling, what are we fueling ourselves with? The second one, the second thing we can do to help us pursue the things of God is to realize that we are a church full of other people desiring to grow and invest in fellowship. There's your second F. 
Proverbs 27:17 says that as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. We're told we need to work together as a community of believers to sharpen one another, to grow and pursue a kingdom way of living. We've got people in this room with so many different experiences and stories of how God has been working in their lives. I say thank you to Mike for coming up and sharing what he did this morning. It's amazing when we have people come up and share those sorts of stories. And I encourage you that if you've ever got a story of how God is working in your life, we really want to hear it. It will do us so much good. So much good. And it's no surprise that actually some of the best faith-building books that I've read are actually other people's stories. Nicky Cruz, Run Baby Run, Corrie Ten Boom, you've got Brother Andrew, you've got Jackie Pullinger. All people with incredible stories which inspire us and fill our hearts with faith. We all have a part to play in building each other up in the body of Christ and in growing together. That is why I really want to encourage you, as Neil did earlier, to join a small group. These are places where you can get to know one another and have a biscuit and a cup of tea and that sort of thing, which is great. But they're also intended to be hotbeds of spiritual growth. Places where we can sharpen one another, encourage one another, and grow together. If you've not been in a small group before, or you're not sure about which group you want to be a part of, come and have a chat with some of us who are leading groups next year. Our faces are helpfully in here as well. I'm not sure about some of the pictures, but... <laughs> come and have a chat with us. Come and have a chat with us. We really want you to be part of these communities so that we can pursue God together. And a little bit of an extension of this. In the Gospels, we see that Jesus had his disciples. He had the 12. So that's a a bit like our small groups in terms of size. But Jesus also, he also had a smaller group within his disciples. He had Peter, James, and John, with whom he had relationships of greater depth. And that's something else that we can learn from and try to replicate as we walk in fellowship with one another. Getting together with with just a, a couple of other people, I'm talking about in twos, in threes, fours, people who are committed to growing together is massive. Done well, they're places of trust where you can be mutually accountable with one another, you can be honest, you can be vulnerable, and quite specific and open with how things are actually going. Being able to share at a greater level of depth really it helps accelerate our growth because it gives us the close mutual support that we need. I chatted with, uh, with Dave Bucknell for the first time today. I've only been in the church four and a half years, nearly five. Um, and you know what? He was sharing exactly that with me. He was a real encouragement to me, saying, you know what, a few weeks ago I was, I, was, um, I was talking with someone and thought, you know what, this is someone I've got to share something with. This is someone I've got to walk alongside and sharpen ourselves up together. It was, a, it, was, it was so good, especially on the morning when I'm talking about something like this. God is working. So we've got small groups and we've got even smaller groups. 
But there's also, there's also a real benefit in things like mentoring relationships, where someone, perhaps someone older, although not exclusively, is able to speak into and help guide someone younger in the faith. So, the challenge I have for you is that whoever you are, and whatever level of maturity in the faith you're at, I want to encourage you to think and pray about whether there's anyone that you can learn from by being alongside them, but also to think whether there's anybody that you can support in their growth and pursuit of the things of God. That is how we will grow together as a community of believers, by sharpening one another up, by using our gifts and our experiences. We want to be a church that is steeped in fellowship with one another, that is so intentional in helping one another grow and in pursuing the things of God. There's a, uh, the third thing that I want to highlight is probably, probably the most important. So we've had fueling, what are we filling ourselves with? We've got fellowship, who am I walking with and who am I growing with? And the third thing is who are we following? We can make all the plans that we want to change what we're doing. We can make all the plans to, uh, I'm going to meet up with so-and-so and I'm going to go to this small group or do this. But if we're not following the Holy Spirit and opening ourselves up for him to work in us, then the things that we want to pursue will be unattainable. There's a great book um, which I've got here, which some of you may have heard of, some of you may have read, and it's uh, called Celebration of Discipline. It sounds pretty heavy, but actually, it's one of the best books that I'm halfway through. Um, but... <laughs> But it is, it is, it's, a really, it's a really good book. And probably the reason I'm only halfway through it is because it is challenging me so much that I can't get through more than one or two pages at a time. Um, and this is a book about what it looks like to go through this process of spiritual growth. And the guy who wrote it, Richard Foster, he says something very helpful to us. He says that we cannot change who we are or attain the growth towards the holiness of God by our willpower alone. It does include willpower. It does include making those choices. That's why it's important, as I've mentioned, to self-assess and to analyze what we're doing and make changes where necessary. But it is not just that. We can see an example of the Pharisees at the time of Jesus. They wanted to live holy lives. But the way they went about doing that was in their own strength, their own strength in terms of keeping the law, their own determination. Ultimately, this then became a celebration of who they were, a celebration of themselves and their own power. In Matthew 23, Jesus labels the Pharisees, these Pharisees, whitewashed tombs. People who appear righteous and clean and pure on the outside, but are actually, on the inside, are filthy and dead, full of hypocrisy and wickedness, so consumed with their own self-importance and proud of their own willpower and determination. In his book, Richard Foster says again that this willpower, the will has the same deficiency as the law these Pharisees were striving to keep. It can only deal with externals. 
It's incapable of bringing about the necessary transformation of the inner spirit. That transformation of the inner spirit is what we're talking about this morning. And it can only happen in conjunction with the Holy Spirit who Jesus promised would always be with us, always be helping us with this stuff. We cannot be successful in pursuing the things of God and transforming ourselves into the likeness of Jesus. We cannot do that on our own. So in all things, all things, we need to give ourselves over to the Holy Spirit's leading. Give him time and space to transform our hearts. When we read our Bibles, we we need to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal new truths to us, to reveal areas of our lives which might need to be tweaked, changed, or things in our hearts which aren't the way that God wants them to be. And when we pray, we need to pray that the Holy Spirit would be working in us, guiding us, showing us where to step and what decisions to make, showing us which people we need to invest in and which people we need to be supported by and challenged by. When we make a commitment to changing and making changes in our lives, yep, set things up, tell people, commit to it, make a diary or a wall planner or whatever you might do, but make the changes in step with the Holy Spirit, following his lead and acknowledging that he is the one who will bring about any transformation in you. So I've asked the question a few times this morning in different ways, but what are you pursuing? What are you pursuing? And it's a genuine challenge. We need to be asking ourselves what areas of our lives are not in step with how we're called to live as followers of Jesus. How can we be intentional in pursuing the life that God wants us to live? We need to check that we are fueling ourselves with the right thing. We need to be asking, you know, how is our fellowship with other people? Where can we tighten up and what can we do? Are we sharpening each other up and growing together? Or are we on our own? And most importantly of all, are we following the lead of the Holy Spirit? and letting him guide us in how we go about this process of transforming ourselves into the image of Jesus. Would you guys all stand with me? I want to have a chance just to respond to a few of these things and open ourselves up to, to what the Holy Spirit wants to do with us this morning. He's always in, he was already doing some things earlier on in our time of worship, but... He's the Holy Spirit who is active and alive and wanting to convict and challenge us and change us, lead us and transform us. I want us to spend some time as we respond, opening ourselves up to him. And in particular, in these three areas, in which one is the Holy Spirit challenging you in? I want us to ask him to help us identify areas in our lives where we know that we're fueling ourselves with the wrong things. What are we putting into ourselves? Is it good? Is it helpful? And I want us to ask him to reveal who he wants us to be walking in fellowship with. Specifically asking him to identify who can help me grow 
in my walk with Jesus. But also, is there anyone that, that I can help? Is there anyone that I can get alongside? And lastly, I want us to ask the Spirit to show us areas where we might have been a bit like the Pharisees. We might be a little bit like them. We might have taken control of the process. And to make the decision to give that over to the Holy Spirit and follow his leading. So yeah, Holy Spirit, we, we welcome you this morning. We say thank you that you are in the business of transformation. You're in the business of transforming our hearts and conforming us to the likeness and the image of Jesus. Jesus.